There's a second housekeeping thing that I need to uh, take care of. And I have to do it now because it's silly. And if I don't do it now, I'm going to be laughing. I'm going to be thinking about it throughout the message. So I got to get it out of the way. As you know, we have been going through the book of Ruth and we have expounded the great character of Boaz over and over and over again. We're going to do that again today. But Jeff Covington rightly pointed out to me this week that Boaz was not always such a man of great character. At one point, he was ruthless. All right, now, having taken care of that, so that I will not be consumed by that throughout the, uh, the message today, let me also say that uh, this is not Dana's fault, this is my fault, uh, but I've changed the, the name of our message. There in the bulletin, it is one thing, but the actual name of our message this morning is going to be Living with Hope. Living with hope. And so with that in mind, let's read Ruth chapter 3 together. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and covered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And know it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one can recognize another, and he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six, me six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, Father, we pray that you would speak to us in a mighty way as we see the effects of hope in the lives of these, your people. May you teach us, may you show us what it is to live with a sure and unshakable hope, a hope that rests in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
Well, although many of the men in the room, I suspect, would deny it, I think most of us would admit that that we are secretly uh, suckers for a good love story. You know, whether it is a good chick flick or or whether it is just our own personal accounts of love, Harvey's and the Scooby-Doo movie for me, if Renee was here, she would amen that. Uh, we, We seem to be fascinated by the often long or interesting ways that that people come together, that people find true love. And over the next two weeks, that that fascination is really going to serve us well here in the book of Ruth, because there may be no more of a, a circuitous route that has been taken to find true love than the one that we see between Ruth and Boaz here in this account before us. Already, we have seen the, the devastation, the, the trauma that led Ruth and Naomi out of Moab back to Bethlehem. Uh, we have seen the, the almost chance happenings, and I, and I emphasize almost because we saw that really they were not chance happenings, but at least from their perspective, they seem like chance. Uh, these events that brought Ruth to, to Boaz's field and ultimately to his, uh, uh, to his sight, to his attention. And there, uh, through Boaz's kindness out in the field and ultimately at his table, unmerited kindness as that, we watched as the possibility of hope, the possibility of a future began to unfold. Certainly that was the idea that tumbling around in Naomi's mind, right? When we left the story last, if you turn back, to chapter 2 and in verse 20, uh, you remember that Naomi says there, uh, the man, this Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You know, the seeds of an idea have been planted in her mind. And what we're going to see today is that they have grown now to a full-blown plan. Now, Like any good romantic comedy, chapter 3 actually is going to leave us on a cliffhanger. It's going to leave us without the story complete. And the temptation for me this week, and I'm sure it is for y'all, is to just finish the story. It's to to apply it in such a way where we know what happens at the end. And look, I think that's okay because we do know how the story ends. But what I really want us to do today is try to focus in on chapter 3. Really try to focus in on the beginnings of this love story and specifically what motivates the actions of the people here in the story. What motivates Naomi? What motivates Ruth? What motivates Boaz's faithfulness there at the end? And what I would submit to you is that all along the way, what motivates it is the hope that began to spring up last week. The hope that started out in the field. The hope that started through Boaz's kindness now manifests itself here in chapter 3 as they faithfully act on behalf of God, as they faithfully act on behalf of each other. And so the question for us is going to be, as those who stand on this side of the cross, those who have seen the greater love story unfold, who have seen Jesus hung on a cross on our behalf, resurrected, seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. How are we living with hope? Are we living with hope? That may be the first and primary question. But if we are, is that hope manifesting itself in the way that we live, 
in the way that we act, in the way that we treat each other? Do our lives display the sure, unfailing truth of the gospel? That's the question before us. Let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to see here in this passage is a plan devised, a plan devised. Or we might say a better point would be Naomi revived, a plan devised or Naomi revived. Now, to whatever degree time has passed between chapter two and chapter three, we see Again, that Naomi's wheels, they've been turning. We've already said that what began as a kind of a seed plan in her mind back in chapter 2 has now gone into a full-grown, full-blossomed plan. It is a plan, and it is ready. And you see it there in verses 1 through 3. She says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, the the first thing that I want you to see here as we consider Naomi's response is I just want you to consider the the change that has occurred in her life. the, The complete transformation that has occurred here from chapter one, especially, but even the beginnings of chapter two now to chapter three. This woman who was once so bitter, who was once so turned in on herself, consumed by the grief of all that she had lost, uh, who who could not even get herself up to to go glean out in the field with her daughter-in-law, who was just trying to help her and herself. This woman now is, is ready to see someone else. She is now ready to get up and be active. She now seems to act on behalf of not only herself, but of Ruth. She has this plan to help her. She has this plan to provide for. Now, look, certainly it's a plan that's going to benefit Naomi as well. And so her, her motives may not be just completely unselfish. But we have to mark that this woman who was once so overcome, she is now ready to go out into the world and to serve other people. What has happened? What has changed in her life? Well, friends, again, I would submit to you, as we did last week, that what has softened Naomi's heart is the hope of the gospel, is the hope that God is with her, the hope that God has not deserted her, he has not abandoned her, and the hope that God has a good plan. She has seen it just a little bit begin to unfold in her life. And now she is running with hope. Now that hope is is really beginning to build. And so she acts. She acts with hope. Friends, what a beautiful reminder that is to us. If you are here today and you suffer, if you are downtrodden, if you are depressed, if you are overwhelmed with life, the reality is, If you are resting in Christ, while it will not remove all of those things from you, we can face them because we have a sure and unshakable hope. We have a hope that will not fail us. Even though we grieve, Paul says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We can face what comes, not in our own strength, not because we pull ourselves up our bootstraps and say, I'm just going to face the day. We can face it because we have a hope that rests in God and in him alone. 
And as Ben has pointed out to us, he has a good plan and he is unfolding that plan. So we act as Naomi does here in hope. Now, the other thing that I want you to note here is just the foundation of Naomi's plan. And again, we we saw kind of some of this last week in Ruth's plan to go out to the field. It's a plan that she just doesn't come up with on her own, but it's one that's rooted in God's word. And there's something there, right? Her hope drives her out into the world, but it also drives her to God's word, right? That's important because that's what it should do for us as well. Our hope in him should drive us to what he says over and over and over again. And here she seems to kind of combine two of the Old Testament laws. You don't have to turn there, but if you did turn to Leviticus 25, uh, you would see the laws that, that are about redeemers. And so basically what it is, is God has set up this system so that if a person loses his land, if he sells it, if he's indebted to another person, maybe if he even sells himself into indentured servitude, a close relative, a friend, they can come by and they can buy them back. They can pay their debt by their land, by this person. So she has this law in Leviticus working in her mind. And then on the other hand, she has Deuteronomy 25 working in her mind, which is the law about Leverite marriage. And so you remember there that that if a woman uh, is left without a husband, without a child, then the man's brother could come and marry that woman in order to, to extend the family line, in order to extend his brother's name. And so she seems to kind of combine these two things in this plan that she has. She sees Boaz. He's a close relative. He can be a redeemer. He also is a man of high character. So she is convinced that he will do this for them. And she is convinced that maybe even through Ruth, he will extend the line. Now, there's a great problem here. The problem is how exactly are they going to make this happen? How exactly are these two women going to say to Boaz, hey, you are the guy. We need you to do this. You know, it's not like they could just go paint his name on an overpass or on a a water tower in John Deere Green. Of course, they they could not do that. They, They couldn't just confront him with the demands of the law. And so instead, what she does is make the plan in such a way that the onus will ultimately be on Boaz. He's he's going to have to make the decision. He's the one that's going to have to say, yes, we're going to do this. Now, it's worth noting that there is a good bit of scholarly debate over exactly what it is that, that Naomi is calling Ruth to do here. And normally I know when I say this about scholarly debate and textual things, this is the time where you tune out. But don't do that. Because this is actually really interesting and you really will enjoy it if you'll stick with me here. So, so don't tune this out. So basically one, one commentator points out that all of the words in verse 4, in verse 4 there, they are ambiguous. Every single one of them could mean something else. And all of the things that they could mean are morally bad things. They are not good things. They can mean a lot of really, really Um, sensual kind of things, things that we would not expect from God's people or for somebody like Ruth. And so it has led some to think that maybe Naomi is asking Ruth to do something that's kind of nefarious, something that's overly sensual, something that's not good. And again, textually, if that's all we had, we would have to say that that could be a possibility. But, you know, knowing what we know about the book as a whole... And knowing what Naomi already knows about Boaz's character, I don't think that's her plan here. 
I think the reason why the author leaves it this way is to remind us of exactly what it is that Ruth is putting on the line here. He he wants us to see what everybody may think of her when she goes and does this. He wants us to understand that this could be taken in a hundred different ways and most of them bad. He wants us to see once again that Ruth steps out in faith. Now that leads us to our second point. We've seen a plan devised. Secondly, I want you to see a plan executed. Or we might call it a worthy woman. A plan executed or a worthy woman. And you see it there in verse 5. Naomi gives her the plan and Ruth says, All that you say, I will do. First, she steps out in faith. You know, Last week she went to the field on her own. But now the stakes are even higher. These men who who apparently were dangerous beforehand while they were working in the field have now unwound with enough food and drink to make their hearts merry. And so you can imagine why this would be a bad place to go for a foreign woman in a foreign land without anybody to protect her. Not only that, but as she goes, she has no way of knowing how Boaz will respond. Yes, she knows his character, but he is under no obligation from the law to do what they ask ask him to do. We're going to see that made clear here in just a second. But she is putting herself on the line once again. Notice... Not only does she put herself on the line, but she steps out boldly this time. She goes out, but then she takes Naomi's plan and she pushes it one step further. Look there in verse 8 with me. She goes, she gets ready, she lays down at the feet of Boaz. And he wakes up at midnight and he asks the obvious question, Who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, I am your servant. And here's where she deviates from the plan. That's where Naomi's plan ended. You tell him who you are, you make him make the decision. She doesn't do that. She's uncovered his feet, which is foreign to us. And then she says, cover me under the shelter of your wing, for you are a redeemer. Now, again, it's hard for us to pick up on exactly what's happening here. But for all intents and purposes, Ruth is now proposing to Boaz. She's saying, Ruth, I mean, she's saying, Boaz, marry me. And notice again how she does it. I hope your ears picked up on this, but go back to to verse 12 in chapter 2. Boaz is speaking to Ruth about the Lord's kindness, about how the Lord will bless her. And listen to what he says. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Again, 9b uh, in chapter 3. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What Ruth is asking Boaz to do here is be the embodiment of what God has done for her. He is asking, she is asking uh, Boaz to care for her to protect her, to do it at his own expense, even to provide a child for her, a future hope. She wants Boaz to do for her 
what God has promised to do. She wants Boaz to be the manifestation of that in the world. So she says, Boaz, marry me. Ruth has boldly pushed the plan forward. And in so doing, she risked everything. Now, the question for us is why? Well, this story, it reminds me of the, of the friendship and the dynamic that exists between two of my favorite people in all of the world, Walt Henson and Ben Lawrence. Now, most of y'all know both of them, but all of you know Walt, and you know him well enough to know that, that if there's a plan that needs to be made, Walt can make the plan. And he can make the plan in such a way that it will be good. It will be a good plan. And it will get things accomplished and done Really, really well. But when you throw Ben in the mix, sometimes the the plans that they make are not necessarily the best of plans. And also Ben has a tendency to push the plans far enough that they become not good plans at all. (laughs) Not good. And so it has been my experience with, with both of them. uh, that, And it is my understanding that, that while Walt makes good plans... Often, for Ben, they do not end up well, both physically or emotionally or in any other capacity. It does not end up well for Ben. There's a lot of injuries that that could be told about because of these things. And I've often wondered, why does Ben continue to go with the plan? Why does he just not say, hey, I'm not going to do this? I think this is the reason. Ben knows Walt. Ben loves Walt. And Ben is going to do what Walt says because he trusts Ben. I mean, Ben trusts Walt completely. No matter what he says, he trusts him. And so, again, no matter what the plan may be, he is willing to try it. In fact, Ben believes it's going to work. He believes it will happen. Well, friends, in a much greater and less silly way, Ruth here is like Ben. She trusts Naomi. She trusts Boaz. But even more than that, she trusts her God. She trusts that even though the plan is risky, even though it has every possibility to turn out terrible for her, she's going to go through with it because she believes that her God is faithful. She believes that he will act on her behalf. And so she steps out faithfully. She steps out with faithfulness. Her faith is rock solid. It's rooted in the hope and the faithfulness of God. And notice again how Boaz recognizes that in her. In verse 10, he blesses her. He says that this kindness that you have shown to me is greater than the kindness you even showed to Naomi. It is is a greater kindness. And then in verse 11, he drives the point home by saying that she is a worthy woman and that everybody in the town, everybody at the gate They know that she is a worthy woman. Now, that Hebrew phrase, a worthy woman, is used in another place in the Bible. Do you all know where it is? Proverbs 31. And it's interesting to note that in the original Hebrew Bible, that immediately following Proverbs was Ruth. In other words, the compiler of those books saw in Ruth the embodiment of that woman in Proverbs 31. Just let me read you a few of these things. In in verse 10, he says, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. And then over in 25, he says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Think of all that Ruth has been through. 
She faces it. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Think about how she has gone out and worked for herself and for Naomi. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Again, Boaz has said, these people, these people in this city, they have praised you at the gate. They know that you are a worthy woman. Friends, how amazing this must have been. How surprising this must have been to any Jewish reader of this book. To any Jewish reader of Ruth. These people who were so confident in their own Jewishness. Who despised Gentiles who despised everybody who was different from them, who turned their nose up at everything unclean. Now, Ruth is the embodiment of all of that. And she is unclean and far worse. She is from Moab. She is not a Jew. And yet here is a woman who God loves, who God sees and honors because she is the embodiment of that Proverbs 31 woman. She is a faithful, wise woman. Her faith is in the Lord and she acts accordingly. Now, that leaves us with one last point. Our third point is a plan sidetracked. I told you that at the beginning uh, that chapter three was going to end kind of on a cliffhanger. And we have made it to that point there in verse 12. Uh, But what I want you to see as we finish is Boaz's faithfulness. Okay, so so he she gives him the plan. He says, I will do this for you, but there is another redeemer. And we're going to have to make sure, we're going to have to be sure that, that he doesn't want to redeem you before. Now, you have to imagine how this must have hit Ruth. She has put herself on the line. Everything has gone well. And now here at the end, the possibility of everything falling apart is very, very real. But in Boaz's faithfulness, He leads us into what we know will come in chapter four. Notice again his commitment to God's law. You know, very easily he could have said, you know what? I will redeem you, Ruth. Let's go right now. I will buy back all that is yours. Let's go right now. You know, this other guy, he had his opportunity. He knows you're here, but he hadn't done it. Boaz doesn't do that. He honors, in faithfulness, he honors God's law. Even though it may mean losing Ruth, even though it may mean the plan completely falling apart. Secondly, notice how he cares for Ruth even before he has to do it. You know, he doesn't put the obligation on her to go and find Mr. So-and-so who we're going to read about next week. But he says, I will go do it. He says, I will go make sure that, that he doesn't want to redeem. I will settle this matter. And Naomi confirms it. She says, he will settle this by today. Next, notice how he is concerned for Ruth's reputation. The next morning, he sends her away. He says, don't let anybody know that she's been here. He knows what this looks like. He knows what this will mean to the people out in the city. They think she's a worthy woman, but now she has shown up and done this. And so he sends her away secretly. And then he sends her away with all of her needs fulfilled. He he gives her six measures of barley, which is a lot of barley. It would have been a heavy load for her to carry. 
And it serves as a confirmation, a symbolic gesture that he will do what he says. And so even as the plan begins to dissolve, Boaz, he, he gives Ruth hope. Hope in his faithfulness. And in that hope, he sets us up for what we're gonna, what's going to happen in chapter 4. For the ending that we hope is coming. But for now, as we try to conclude here in chapter 3, I said that, that we want to try to apply this chapter specifically to our lives. As this love story begins to unfold, even as it started out so unfamiliar and so unconventional, through all the twists and the turns, what have we seen? We've seen that the greater love story unfolding behind the scenes, right? Yes, there is this love story of Ruth and Boaz that's there for us, that grips us, that draws us in. But friends, when we get there, we realize there is far more going on here than two Jewish people in the time of the judges in Bethlehem. God is at work and he is unfolding his love story, a love story for Ruth and Boaz that leads them together, a love story for these people in the time of the judges who are apostate, who have turned their backs on God. And yet he is still at work for his remnant, faithfully bringing them a king, King David, the best of kings. He's working even through a Moabite woman. It's a love story that that unfolds for the original readers of this book. People who are probably without a king. People who are probably in exile. A reminder to them that though they are there, they can patiently hope and wait for their God. Because He will do what He has said He will do. He will bring a Davidic king to sit on the throne and reign forevermore. Because that's what He promised. And so that's what He will do. Friends, it is a story, a love story that has unfolded for you and I. A love story that involves us, Jesus, on the cross. The King of kings, that Davidic king who reigns forevermore on the cross, broken and bleeding on our behalf so that we might have hope, so that we might act as Ruth and Naomi and Boaz do here, faithfully out in the world, Showing people the hope of what Jesus has done for us. It was a plan devised before the foundations of the world. It was a plan executed by the sinless son of God. And friends, if by faith you are a part of that love story today, then your life too has been marked by a sure and unshakable hope. Even if the plan seems to go off track, even if you can't see where you're headed, even if you're just holding on for dear life and praying, God, get me through this. The truth is, is he will not fail. If he has given us Jesus, then surely he will get us through this life. The one who covered Naomi with his wings, he has covered you and he has covered me and nothing, absolutely nothing can steal us from there. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you, our shelter, our rock, our refuge, Lord, we do praise you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a hope that, that far exceeds even what 
Naomi and Ruth and you. Their hope certainly was resting in you, resting in, in your Redeemer. But Father, we have seen what that costs. We have seen exactly what that entailed. And so Lord, may we live with hope. Hope unshakable. Hope that leads us out into the world boldly as it led Ruth out into the world boldly. Hope that, that would allow us to, to act faithfully as Boaz does to your people, uh, to those around us, showing the character of God to those that we come into contact with. And most of all, Father, may we rest. May we rest in what Jesus has done for us, knowing that while this world may, may fall apart, the mountains may fall into the heart of the sea, you are good and you are sure and you will not fail. Lord, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.